Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to Professional Oklahoma Educators' Bite-Sized Learning Podcast, where bite-sized changes can have a big impact on the classroom. This is Season 1, Episode 9. I'm Jason Bings, the Director of Professional Learning at POE and the host of this podcast. I'm confident that many of you are concerned about what the return to school is going to look like. We are, too. With the uncertainty and mixed messages you're getting, it's no wonder that you might be at a loss about what to do. We've gone through the materials released as guidelines and have also sat in on some of the calls with state leaders and medical professionals. As you know, this information could be rendered completely invalid any time that new data or any time there's a massive uptick in cases. So what we've put together are just a few ideas to help you maintain your sanity and also stay safe during some of these uncertain times. The CDC, state health officials, and the State Department of Education have all released guidelines for returning to school. Some of these guidelines are in conflict while others may seem unrealistic or impossible. In the Return to Learn documentation issued by the State Department of Education, State Superintendent Hoffmeister had this to say in her introduction. Return to Learn Oklahoma a framework for reopening schools is a compendium of factors for individual districts to consider as they determine how to begin the school year with a focus on learning and the safety and ongoing health of students, staff, and families. It is not necessary to act on every consideration in this comprehensive framework. Rather, in keeping with the guidance we've received from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, and Oklahoma State Health Officials, Districts should take a layered approach to COVID-19 mitigation, adopting those policies and practices that are feasible, practical, and acceptable within their school community. So I think it's important to understand from this statement that how the guidelines are implemented will be determined by each district. The way they are implemented needs to make sense for your community and your school. And so some people, when they see this 70-page document, immediately have this sense that they're going to have to implement every single thing in there. And that's not what, what's being said. What is being told to us is that here are some guidelines, look through them, make a plan that's going to work for your community using these as your source information. We know that it's going to be impossible to do all of the recommendations within this. And so just to kind of give you an example, some of the recommendations that that you may have seen floating around have to do with busing students and making sure that your buses aren't overcrowded. Well, if your students are on an hour-long bus route and the, the bus usually holds 45, 50 students, there's really no practical way to take care of that situation without having some risk involved because there aren't enough bus drivers, there aren't enough buses so that you could double up your routes or do anything along those lines. And so you just have to put in some other practices that are going to be a little bit more practical. It's not going to be uh, practical for bus drivers to take the temperature of every student coming onto the bus just because every student they have to stop and do that for is going to add time to the route. And so a student that may be on an hour-long bus route, that route could turn into an hour and a half or more if you're having to stop and take the temperature of every student as they come on and run through those questions. And so there are some recommendations that are going to be really impractical and not feasible. And that's what is being told to us, that 
We understand that some of these things are going to be virtually impossible for you to implement. Implement what you can, implement what makes sense, and go from there. And so as we approach the new school year, many districts are in the process of making plans to accommodate any potential future shutdowns. Some of these plans include purchasing devices, subscribing to learning management systems or LMS, Wi-Fi hotspots, and other educational software licenses that can be employed or deployed by educators and learners quickly. What this may require of you, though, is learning a few new systems and finding ways to adapt your current lessons to fit into a potential online format for a while. So as you plan your lessons for the coming year, you should feel free to plan as normal, but also be able to shift that lesson to an online format at a moment's notice. Please hear me. This does not mean you need to have two different lesson plans. That is not what I'm saying. It simply means you take your already great lesson plan and make some minor adaptations to it so it's going to work in a distance learning environment if needed. That's it. So take what you're doing that's great, make some adaptations to it to make it fit the online format or the distance learning format if and when it's needed. Because for some of you, it's going to happen. You're going to be shut down for a week or two or, or, or sometime during this next school year there's a chance that that may be a possibility. So be prepared for it. So as you plan, ask yourself, what will this look like in a distance learning format? And make sure you add the necessary notes to your lesson plans. That way, if you leave on Friday and find out that Monday you're not coming back in, you're already prepared because you've got your notes in your lesson, lesson plan so that you can make that adaptation and that switch pretty quickly. One piece of good news that I did pick up from the state epidemiologist, something he said in a meeting with state education leaders, is that he doesn't expect there to be another statewide school closure like we've seen. Instead, what he's predicting is that there may be some individual districts that choose to shut down for some time, much like we've done when we've had flu outbreaks in some communities. And so this means that if there are no cases in your school or community, there likely won't be a need for everything to shut down. Other than needing to learn how to use new software or adapting your lesson plan to fit the current situation, what else do you need to be prepared for? Well, here are a few practical steps that you can take or steps that may be taken by your district. The first one I'm going to share is just pay attention to hygiene. This is something that comes as no surprise to us and it's probably the single most important aspect of preventing the spread of most viruses and bacteria. So make sure you're washing your hands often and or using hand sanitizer when you're unable to wash your hands. Uh, this applies to your students as well. Another consideration or another step you can take is to sanitize frequently used items. So if there are items that are commonly used or touched, those services need to be sanitized as frequently as possible. This applies to buses as well. So whether that's disinfectant sprays or wipes or, or whatever the case may be, make sure you're sanitizing those high-touch items as frequently as possible. So if you're changing classes, as one class is leaving, wipe down desks before the other class comes in. So another thing to keep in mind is sanitizing buses. Now, most of you may not be driving buses and your district may not have a plan in place. 
I know that there are some districts that have purchased some of those sanitizing misters so that they can pull that onto a bus or pull that into a classroom and quickly spray down the surfaces. Uh, others may be purchasing the, the UV light sanitizers that kill viruses in classrooms and buses. And so what they would do with that is move that into a space, turn it on, let it run for however long it needs to, and then that'll kill the majority of any viruses that may be present in there. So those are just a couple of, couple of things you can keep in mind there as far as sanitizing things. The misters and the UV light sanitizers may not be anything that you yourself are dealing with, but it may be somebody in your school district that is using that tool on a daily or, or periodic basis to help, help take care of that and mitigate the situation. So another step you can do is to have individually assigned materials. So have students use their own pencil sharpener, their own computers, tablets, etc. Uh, make sure that those are assigned and that they're the only one in contact with it. If you cannot do that or if you have to share those resources, make sure that you're finding ways to sanitize those resources in between uses. So if you've got computers or tablets that are being shared uh, as one class is transitioning out and another is in, sanitize that with whatever sanitizer is safe to use on that surface. Another step that we can do is to maximize the distance between our students. Now we've, we've been told that six foot range, uh, that social distancing range that we need to have in place. You and I know that this is not possible in 99% of the classrooms across the state. So what we need to do is just find ways to maximize the distance. So kind of spread that out. The, the state epidemiologist stated that the highest possibility of spread is within three feet. So if we increase the distance as much as possible and get outside of that three foot range, that extra distance kind of acts as a buffer zone for us and, and helps prevent the spread a little bit more. But even three feet is going to prove to be a challenge in many classrooms. Just do your best to distance your students whenever possible. So that this is taking us back to that statement that I mentioned earlier that's in the opening of the uh, Return to Learn documentation. Do what is practical, feasible, and acceptable. All right, so the next step, if you're riding buses or if you are aware of, of some of the bus drivers that and can pass this tip along to them, one of the things that's shared is to drive with the windows down on the buses as much as possible or as long as weather permits that to happen. Keeping those windows down maximizes that airflow in the room or in the bus, and it prevents you getting this high concentration of the virus within the bus if there happens to be somebody on there that has it. And so it'll, it'll blow it on out and, and thin it out and dilute the, the virus in the air and decrease the likelihood of spread. Another thing you can do, and this applies not just to transportation but also in the classroom, is to assign seats. And most of you in the classroom already do something like this, especially if you're at the elementary level. So if you assign a student to the same seat every day, then you decrease the likelihood of contamination or spread. On buses, spread out students as much as possible, but if you have siblings, have them sit together whenever possible. So doing this and assigning seats is going to limit the people that are in contact with that spot. So if you teach seven classes throughout the day, 
you know that only seven students sat in that seat and contact would be those that are closest to that seat. And so if you have to do any kind of contact tracing of any sort, you've just made it a lot easier to do. All right, so the next thing that may be done is screening. And this may not be within your assigned tasks. This may be something that office personnel or other assistants are doing or, or health officials or somebody within your school may be taking care of this. But if students are running a fever or if they've been exposed to someone with a virus, they may need to be isolated. In the case of the flu and other illnesses, we've often been told that after 24 hours of them being fever free without using any kind of fever reducing medication, as long as it's been 24 hours, then they're able to return. So after listening to the state epidemiologist and his recommendations in this case, when we're talking about COVID, he's saying that it's not 24 hours, that it needs to be three days. So if they're fever free without using Tylenol or ibuprofen or some other fever reducer uh, during that time period, they should be at a point that they're not spreading the virus anymore. Okay, so the next suggestion or recommendation within some of the documents that we have is dealing with masks. Now, I know this is a controversial topic for many, and that's mainly because we keep getting conflicting information about how effective they truly are. So, we have two basic schools of thought surrounding masks that are on the positive side of using them. And there are some on the negative side of it. We're not going to really look at that. But the first is that if you are contagious, it helps prevent you from spreading the virus because the virus is, is often transferred in the droplets that we expel when we speak, breathe, cough, and sneeze. And so if it's hindering that flow of the virus because those droplets aren't, ex aren't escaping or they're being slowed down and not being able to go as far, then that's going to decrease the likelihood that you are spreading the virus. The second school of thought is that it makes you more aware of how often you touch your face throughout the day. So if you have the mask on, you're less likely to touch your face and therefore less likely to get the virus because of that. Now, most masks don't provide the high level filtering that would completely prevent transmission. We know that. But you need to think of this more like a speed bump. It will help slow the spread based on these two schools of thought that we've shared. You may already be aware of some of the steps that a few districts are already putting in place as their students return for summer, summer activities and athletics. They're currently taking the temperature of athletes and asking them a series of screening questions. If they're above a certain temperature or answer affirmatively to multiple screening questions, then they're going to be asked some follow-up questions and in the case of fever may be sent home. They're also limiting contact by assigning athletes to small groups and partners. So what this does is it makes it easier for contact tracing if someone does test positive. They also have built-in sanitizing breaks where students need to stop and wash or sanitize their hands every 30 minutes. As students change activities, the equipment is sanitized before the next group begins to use it. So all of these steps, they're great intermediate steps to returning to normal activities, and some of them may actually become standard practices. Now, if you'd like more information, 
you can find all the extra details in the Return to Learn guide from the Oklahoma State Department of Education. Ultimately, though, we all need to be doing our part to stay safe and healthy. So don't let these guidelines overwhelm you. Your district may not implement some of them because they're, they're just not feasible. They don't fit your community. Your job as a teacher is to provide a safe learning environment for your students. So always make sure you're doing your best to accomplish that task. If it's something that's out of your control, let other stakeholders worry about it because it's within their realm of control. So as you progress through the summer and start your preparations for the new school year, I want you to begin processing some of the small changes you can make that are gonna have a big impact, not just on the learning of your students, but on their health and safety. All of these little things are going to add up. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Please be sure to comment to let us know how we can help you and others. You may leave your comments in your podcatcher of choice, but to guarantee we receive them in a timely manner, go to bit.ly slash bite-sized pod and complete the form. If you'd like to schedule a professional learning session for your school or an online meeting, you can send an email to pd at apoe.org. If you'd like more information about professional Oklahoma educators, check out our website, www.apoe.org. You can find the links to this podcast and blog under the Resources tab on the APOE website, or you can find it by going to poebitesizedlearning.blogspot.com. POE can also be found on Facebook at APOE.org and on Twitter at ProfOklaEDU.